This episode is brought to you by our friends at Thompson Hine. Thompson Hines Quick Launch helps emerging startups get their initial team members onboarded the right way with all the appropriate legal documentation for a fixed, reasonable cost. Every dollar counts for a startup and making sure that all your team and equity compensation matters are handled appropriately shouldn't be dictated by costs. With the Thompson Hine Quick Launch Team and Equity Matters Bundle, we ensure that you have employee offer letters, NDAs, intellectual property assignments, independent contractor agreements, and advisory board participation agreements. Visit thquicklaunch.com today and get your company and your team set up right. 614 Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. This is season seven. This is The Money Issue. And I have another great guest from the venture world, Liz Todia, Senior Associate at Mutual Capital Partners. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks, I'm so excited to be here. Now, are you in Cleveland right now? Yes, yeah, I am here in the land. The land, now are you from the land originally? Where are you from? Yeah, no, born and raised here. Grew up uh, west side of Cleveland. Okay, so we're here in Columbus, Ohio. We're We're trying to go statewide. We've had one other guest from Cleveland, so you are guest number two. Why don't you share a little bit of your background and then give us uh, maybe one reason why everybody should visit Cleveland or move to Cleveland or whatever your best Cleveland pitch is. <laughs> All right. So my background, uh, I actually got started with venture capital while I was in college. Uh, I went to the University of Dayton for undergrad and they have a really great entrepreneurship program. One of the things that makes it so great is that they have a seed fund that's totally student run. So it's a million dollar fund. It invests in early stage Ohio-based tech companies. You know, we were doing real diligence on real companies and writing 10 or $20,000 checks into these startups. Funny enough, one of those portfolio companies for that seed fund is actually in our portfolio at Mutual Capital Partners. Uh, So very fun overlap there. Um, And I, I just got bit by the venture capital bug. I thought it was just about the coolest job you could have. I loved the marriage of, you know, the critical thinking, analytical finance side with the creative entrepreneurialism and getting to really take risks and try out new things. So uh, I looked for an internship between my junior and senior year of college uh, called Mutual Capital Partners, more or less cold called our one partner, Bill, um, and said, hey, uh, I'm looking for an internship. You guys hiring? And went and got coffee with them, told him all about the work we did at Fire Angels. And he said, wow, you know, we've never had an intern who knew anything about venture capital, let alone has been doing it, right? And has written investment memos and and written checks into companies. So I came and spent the summer here. That was back in 2016 and really loved it. You know, loved working with Bill and Wayne, the two partners here. They gave me a lot of leeway to to go to conferences on my own and take meetings on my own and really explore what a role at Mutual Capital Partners would look like. And uh, I kept working for them through my senior year of college and I got really lucky with timing. Uh, We were raising our third fund while I was finishing up college. And so once that closed, that allowed them to bring me on full time. So I've uh, been on the team now for about three and a half years. I've gone from intern to analyst to senior associate uh, in that time. And it's been a a really fun journey. And as far as my pitch on why you should come to Cleveland, that's a really hard question because there's so many things I love about it. But I guess I'll say Cleveland in the summer is my favorite place in the whole world to be. There's nothing that beats going out on Lake Erie, going swimming, going to an Indians game. Uh, it's just the best place. So come visit when it's nice and warm. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully those summer months make up for those Cleveland winters because I understand those winters are no joke. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great pitch. I got to get up to Cleveland in the summer, hang out, maybe, you know, 
post all of this stuff that we're dealing with, 2021 might be great and we can come out and everybody can hang out and have a good time up in Cleveland. All right. Do you have any insight into why the University of Dayton would start such a program? Because it sounds like alumni of those program uh, of that program are going to be sought after, right? When somebody hears that you want to intern with them and you're not going to them to get experience, of course, you're going to broaden your understanding. You, you know, there, there's a lot that you learn from any company that you work with, but you already have some of the fundamentals in terms of, you know, understanding how the process works and then actually going out there and making bets on companies. Do you have any insight into why the University of Dayton started this program? Yeah, it was actually an alumni of UD who gave a million dollars to the university and specifically said, I want you guys to create a venture fund and I want the goal to be education and hands-on experience for your students. You know, very simply put, it wasn't about returns. It was a gift, a donation. They weren't expecting anything back. They just said, this is you know going to make your students be way ahead of the pack down the road. And uh, I want that for the future generations of UD Flyers. So a really, you know, forward thinking alum who, who helped set this all up. All right. Well, that's great. And, um, you know, you, you kind of as as you grow in your success and you make decisions about where you're going to put your money. Right. When you ultimately kind of get to your point in life where you're thinking about how you can make an impact. This is this is tremendous. I think more opportunities like this for people to get real world experience. It's always that chicken or the egg. When you go to apply for a job, they're always asking you, well, how much experience do you have? And so having the university system actually being a source of experience within itself I think it's critical and it's, a, it's something that all Ohio universities need to be thinking about. I don't know the list of universities that have programs like this, but I think this is uh, spectacular. Now, we have yeah. our fair share of uh, college students and recent graduates uh, and even some high schoolers that listen to this podcast. So as you're out there thinking, you know, you got the bug, right? You, you want to continue working in this space and you look at the landscape of companies that you could potentially intern with why mutual capital partners? Why were they kind of at the top of your list and, and so much so that you were willing to make that cold call to one of the partners? Yeah, absolutely. There was a bunch of reasons. I saw their track record and their success and was really intrigued by the fact that they'd been doing it for so long and had a lot of experience. Um, I was really curious about sort of the medical device side of our practice, which we can dive into more later, but it was something I really knew nothing about uh, when I came and started here. So that was really exciting to me to kind of broaden those horizons. And once I met the team, that that really sealed the deal for me. Um, getting to know Bill and Wayne, the two partners here, uh, really, really enjoy working with them. And I think that was kind of the, the icing on the cake for me of this opportunity to then get to work with two people that I really, really respect and enjoy working with. Okay. So, so it was... It was as much about the opportunities itself as the people that you were going to be working with, it sounds like. Definitely. Wonderful. Now, at Mutual Capital Partners, why software, why medical devices? So we focus on these two areas because we have seen a lot of success in them. Uh, First and foremost, we have a number of exits in both spaces that have allowed us to build out really great industry uh, networks of people that we can bring in to help companies. It's given us a lot of personal experience to be able to be good board advisors and mentors to our companies. And I think especially being here in Cleveland, Ohio, the medical device field is, is sort of an obvious. We have so many great research institutions just around the corner. And even across the whole state of Ohio, there's you know, dozens that it, there's so much interesting technology coming out of so much knowledge in these institutions to really um 
take advantage of isn't the right word, but maybe capitalize on is a better way to put it. Yeah. And, you know, in your role there, you're looking at deal flow, right? So, so software is kind of a huge category. How does mutual capital go about finding deals? And what is your process, your personal process, or just kind of the company process, anything that's not proprietary that you can share with us <laughs> about how you consider deals and what does that process look like internally? Right. Deal flow sourcing is always the biggest part of our job, right? That's what I spend the vast majority of my time doing. Both of the partners spend a lot of their time on this as well. You're always out looking for deals and they come in in from so many different areas. It can be through your network of other investors. It can be through networks of entrepreneurs that we know that refer other entrepreneurs to us. It's through going out to events and conferences, or at least uh, we used to in person. Now they're all virtual, but, you know, finding different ways to meet people, getting to know lawyers or accountants or other service providers who might work with startups. You know, it's a very broad network that you're casting a net out there, trying to find the best opportunities. And then, you know, once they get in the door and we're taking a look at them, for me, it's really about trying to find companies that are filling a need and not a want. Your customer needs to have your product. It's not just nice to have your product. It's a big market of those customers, right? There's a whole lot of people out there who have this need that you're filling. There isn't another company that exists who can or does solve this need the way that you're doing it. And then is this the right team? And can they, you know, really scale this company and grow it efficiently? And there's a lot to dig into on kind of each piece of that. I spend hours and hours of research trying to understand and unpack each bit of that. But for us, that's really the magic formula of finding successful companies. Thank you for listening. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this message from our sponsor. When companies large and small need to solve technological challenges, they turn to AWH. AWH has the experience and expertise to help your company create innovative and disruptive products for the web, mobile, and IoT. Leveraging a deep understanding of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and blockchain, combined with the creativity that comes from their entrepreneurial DNA, AWH gives their clients the competitive advantage. Visit awh.net today and tell them about your project. All right, so there's art and science to that. Absolutely. Uh, where, where, you know, where does that balance come in, right? Because not all great ideas sound great the first time you hear them. And so you hear these stories of people who passed on Uber or passed on Airbnb because, you know, renting out your couch for somebody to sleep on just doesn't sound like a great idea when you first hear it. So what's the balance, particularly you're still early in your career, of, of the art of kind of recognizing something that might have legs, but then also the science, looking at the market, looking at, you know, the team and and making sure that they understand their own internal numbers. How much of it is art and science and how do you kind of balance the two? It's an ongoing evolution for sure. And definitely a learning process. I think for every single investor, uh, you're constantly going back and forth of ideas you get excited about and people that you build a relationship with that you really believe in as entrepreneurs, as well as trying to you know, more or less make the math work, right? Of can we scale this thing? Do we have enough capital to put into it? Is there exit opportunities? All of that kind of financial um, stuff that it really affects the outcomes. So it is uh, absolutely a balancing act back and forth. For me, when I think about the art of it, um, we've found that the best companies are those with a really simple value proposition. If you can write why what your product does matters on the back of a business card and somebody will understand it in a sentence or two or three, then that's a winner. You know, I think the simple ideas are the best. Um, And even in, 
you know, things as complicated as medical devices, where there's years and years of clinical trials and research and so much that goes into it, but you can still boil it down to a couple sentences of why this is better for a patient and for a doctor, for a healthcare system, all of the above, then you're going to win. You know, if you can't explain your, your simple value prop that way, then I think you're going to struggle long-term. And so it's sort of balancing those things that are intuitive and, and straightforward concepts that we really fall in love with, with the uh, financial side of it. And like I said, making that math work is not always easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this situation. So you get it. It's simple, right? It's bottled water. It's water in a bottle, right? First guy who pitches water in a bottle, not so much, right? But we all understand it now. What's the difference between it being intuitively understand it like the first time or recognize that not everything that is simple is going to also be understood as a market opportunity because the biggest thing that I hear from entrepreneurs when they're talking to venture investors is that they tr- they, they come back to me and I, I you know I'm not in the world of pitching investors. I, I get to be kind of the media guy asking questions, right? But it's helping people gain insights into how an investor thinks, right? So just because you've boiled it down, you whittle it down, it's super simple, doesn't necessarily mean that even though it's simple, that person also gets the idea. And it, it, they're not also, maybe it's not a good fit, but that doesn't communicate that it isn't a good idea or that idea has legs. So in terms of the stage that you're investing in, are you so early that it's, it's, it's super idea heavy in terms of your con- consideration? Or are you also looking at some market feedback as to whether or not this idea has legs? At, at what point is it coming across your desk where you're like, yeah, this is the company at, at the stage that I want to see it because it can help me actually with decision making? Right. So we typically invest in companies that are already generating revenue. That's a pretty big thing for us to have somebody who pays money for your product get on the phone with me and jump up and down and tell me how it's changed their business. It's changed their medical practice. It's made their life so much better, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that is the absolute biggest validation that any startup has. And so I know it's challenging when you're pre-revenue in your early stage, trying to replicate that. But for me, that, that market validation, that customer feedback is the most critical thing when we're evaluating a startup. And so it's probably the most lengthy part of our diligence process is we'll try and get on the phone with as many people as we can who use the product or maybe could use the product if we're you know, making a customer introduction for a startup and, and trying to figure out, okay, how big of a problem is it that they're solving and you know how much of a pain point is it, right? It might be a minor annoyance for somebody or it might be something that takes up a ton of their time, a ton of their effort, loses the money, you know, lots of different ways that it could be a problem. And so the more and more you can validate that, yes, there are people out there who are are begging for this product and need it so much. And really, uh, this is going to make something so much meaning, a meaningful impact on whether it's their business or their life or their patients or whatever. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. And, and so making, you know, so for let's let's put it through the lens of my business, right? You guys don't invest in media companies, but you know this is a scenario, right? So a first-time founder, which you're going to find a lot of in um, yep. the Midwest, people without a lot of experience, and we need that venture activity, right? Just not everybody who's on this journey needs to have had some experience working in a start. We need everybody thinking about ideas, generate because we do want to be the next startup hub, and that's kind of what makes Silicon Valley great, right? Everybody out there thinks they can run a company, right? So. Let's say I have this idea for this media company. We're going to 
We're going to disrupt the whole world. Everybody who watches CNBC now is going to watch 614 Startups, whatever, right? So what ideally you'd like to see is that, yeah, it's a great idea. One, the product is launched in the market. You'd want to be talking to some of our sponsors. Hey, you know, by advertising on 614 Startups, are you seeing, is it helping you grow your business? Will you keep uh, investing with them? You know, do you think this is something that's scalable, right? You, you'd need some of that customer feedback. You'd be mm-hmm. talking probably to some of our avid listeners or at least looking at our user data that it's growing month over month. And then with all of that, you now have something to make a decision uh, with. Am I understanding, am I tracking you properly in this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note, most venture capitalists are not going to be an expert on this particular startups they're looking at. You might have some, right, who who ran their own company in the space or have had an exit in the space, but chances are they're not going to know everything about your business inside and out the way that you do. And so for us to get up to speed, to try and be as smart as you are as an entrepreneur who's living this day in and day out, that kind of real-time feedback from the people who are also using your products day in and day out or seeing the benefit from it day in and day out helps us to become, you know, quick experts, right? If a doctor tells me, yeah, I want to use this in all of the surgeries I do, for whatever reason, that's hugely helpful because I don't do surgery, right? <laughs> and so if I was, um, you know, a company who is sponsoring 614's uh, startup podcast, our fund doesn't sponsor podcasts. So I would love to talk to those kinds of people to hear their feedback and understand that because to me, they're the expert of what I'm investing in or diligencing. So that's, you know, how I always think about it is trying to talk to as many people who know more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the holy grail is when the company is looking for the investor and the investor is looking for the company and somehow the two connect, meaning you guys have a market that you're super interested in finding companies in. And there's a company out there that's growing. They're hitting their milestones, et cetera. They have a solid team. And I think sometimes that's what we see in these deals. You know, I talked to Molly Banaktapur over at uh, Drive Capital, and she was talking about the whole idea of Root, right? They were, they, they actually were so excited about the market that they actually went out to find entrepreneurs to solve the problem. Uh, and I think sometimes entrepreneurs don't understand a lot of that is happening. Venture investors have a particular market they want to go after, and they're looking for companies that are doing those things because you guys only have so much money or so many deals that you actually um, uh, participate in every year. So for, for your company, how many deals are you guys looking at every year? What's the average check size, et cetera? Yeah. So we probably make the least investments out of our total fund than, you know, any other fund you talk to. So our current fund is 43 million. We're targeting six or seven total portfolio companies out of that fund. So it's two to $4 million initial investment, about 100% of that reserves for follow-on because we want to keep investing in and supporting these companies as they keep growing. Um, and so when we're thinking about, you know, kind of how many deals we see, I would say we're really picky. We probably saw about 1,000 deals in 2019. I haven't done the data yet on 2020, but I would actually say it's probably up um, and it's increased this year. We've seen a ton of deal flow and, you know, we'll invest in one or two out of that thousand that we see. And to be fair, a lot of those are in industries that we just don't look at. It might be a consumer product. We don't do consumer products and it's nothing wrong with that company as it is. It's just not a fit for who we are, but it's definitely a huge pool to get narrowed down to just the couple that end up making it in the portfolio for us. Yeah. So part of that due diligence and whittling it down is probably looking at all these documents that these companies are going to send you and who else is on the cap table. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you to incriminate yourself and make any enemies here, but I'm sure venture and very like, no, I don't want to be on the cap table with that group, right? So what are some things that um, we'll call them deal breakers? No matter how excited you are about an idea, no matter how much scale they're actually, your traction or whatever, it's just attractive, but then you, you know, you get the, the documents and then there are some things that you see in there. And you're like, uh, 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 I'm not touching this deal. What are some things that are just absolute deal breakers so that entrepreneurs can be aware? No names here. No, don't name any names. <laughs> no, I would like to say we pride ourselves on trying to be super collaborative and we play nice in the sandbox with others. So I, I could not think of a single fund if you asked me that I wouldn't be willing to work with. Um, so that's not an issue for us as far as specific groups or people who'd ever be on a cap table. Um, there are some challenges that come with having too many people on a cap table. You get up to, you know, we've seen as many as 100 or 150 individual investors into a company. And the concerns for us about that is, let's say your startup is wildly successful. And now we are, you're being acquired for a billion dollars by Google or Microsoft or, you know, just some phenomenal exit. Well, in order to complete the acquisition, you need to get sign off from every one of your shareholders. And now you have to go find 150 people. And one of them is on some private island and doesn't answer his phone for three months. And another one got divorced. And so now his shares are split between his ex-wife who doesn't answer his calls, right? It just turns into this mess that holds up what should be, you know, a huge success. And that kind of thing can ruin an acquisition down the line. So for us, it's those sorts of things that could get in the way of your own success. We don't mind if you have angel investors. We don't mind that there's other people involved. It's just going to hamper you in the future. So that's, you know, one of the concerns we have, you know, more high level, I would say things that have been deal breakers uh, for us. We've, you know, had entrepreneurs who have lied or not been fully transparent. You know, the point of the diligence process is we're going to uncover stuff and there's nothing worse than being in the 11th hour and all of a sudden, you know, opening some legal contract and finding something crazy in it that, you told us three times didn't exist and you didn't have any legal obligation to somebody else or whatever it was. If you don't tell us about these problems, we can't help you with them. And now you've just broken our trust on top of it. If you were just up front and said, hey, we're kind of in this mess or this thing didn't go so hot, we can work through that and talk about it and figure it out as partners. But when you're hiding things or not being very transparent, how can we ever make it better, right? That's definitely happened in a few diligence processes. And it's always really, really sad, but it you know, without fail has turned into a pass every time from us. Yeah. And note to self, when invested in a scaling company, don't get a divorce. Okay. <laughs> keep it together long enough to exit. Thank you for listening. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this message from our sponsor. Book and Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at bookandstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. So let's talk about companies in your portfolio investments that you've been involved with that you're very excited about. I know you're excited about all the companies. Right? They're, they're doing excellent. But what, what are some companies that are near and dear to your heart that you've been part of the diligence process that you guys have invested in? And what are some of the problems that they're looking to solve? Yeah. 
So the first investment that I was ever a part of the diligence process that we made, first investment out of our third fund is a company here in Cleveland, Ohio. They're called Checkpoint Surgical. And it is a medical device company that creates these little handheld sensors that you use intraoperatively to find nerves. So uh, when, you know, surgeons got you opened up on the table and they're cutting and moving and doing all kinds of things, uh, if you damage those nerves, it not only causes so many issues for the patient, but it might not heal correctly, could result in lawsuits for the hospital. And um, there's so many issues that come with that. So they've got this little handheld guy, uh, it's electrical nerve stimulation that you can run down um, you know, inside of the muscle and things and see where those nerves are so you can protect them, take care of them. We heard some, uh, I don't want to say amazing, but some pretty crazy horror stories when we were in diligence about um, you know, plastic surgeons who were doing a facelift for somebody and they cut a nerve the wrong way and now that person can't smile anymore, right? It's things like that, these freak accidents that cause you know, so much pain and suffering for these poor patients, you know, so much heartache for the surgeons. So they, it's a really, really cool product for using that. Um, and they've recently been able to use that product to really help with phantom limb pain. Uh, so think about amputees who you know, feel like they still have their arm or their leg that's been removed. They're able to use this little electric nerve stimulator in the procedures to help eliminate that, which is you know, just one of the coolest things, getting to see the stories of the people that have been helped from those procedures, from this product, that we can help eliminate that pain has been you know, really, really rewarding to watch happen. That's amazing. And have you been able to see the tech in the field? Um, I've only seen videos. I think my partner Wayne might have actually gone into the surgery. I don't know that I quite have the stomach to, to stand in an OR and watch someone cut open. Not mm -hmm. quite my expertise, <laughs> but I, I have watched plenty of videos of it in the field, which is enough for me. <laughs> yeah, you'll take the customer's word for it. You're not going to check and see if it really works, right? You don't want me cutting anybody up and playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I, I got it. And that's amazing. I think, you know, everything that we do in the state when it comes to startups, and, and I don't know if there's companies in the state. Are you guys? They are, yeah. yeah let me, okay, so they're, they're here in Ohio. So we need companies like this. We need stories like this. And we need to tell those stories, right? Which is kind of why this platform exists. But there are a lot of cool things happening. And there are a lot of companies out there that are solving really, really big problems. So... Let's talk about you right now. I mean, it's the end of the year. Are you shutting it down? Are you, do you guys need to get one more deal done? I mean, what does the rest of your year look like? And what are some markets that you're super interesting that you would love to see some deals on? Yeah, you know, the work never stops. Um, when there's deals, you just run after them as fast as you can. I've taken customer diligence calls on Christmas Eve before. So there is no off days uh, just because if there's a deal to be done, then we are going to get all over it. Um, so you're working. As far as, you're working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So send, keep those deals coming, right? There's no yes. holidays here. Okay. Yes. No, yeah. Send them over. Send them over as soon as you got them. Um, okay. As far as industries that we're excited about, uh, we've seen a ton of activity in healthcare IT around sort of telemedicine, remote patient monitoring. Um, obviously, COVID-19 has really changed the healthcare landscape. And so thinking about you know, the acceleration of using this technology to take care of patients who no longer have to come into the hospital every time they want to see a doctor, right? They can call them via, not Zoom, but other tools that are HIPAA compliant. They can use these devices that are Bluetooth enabled to be able to send back data and to really help these doctors monitor their progress and how they're handling different diseases and things that they've, you know, got chronic conditions. We've seen, you know, just an explosion in that market. 
Um, and we're really excited about it. It's, you know, we thought it was the future of healthcare for quite some time and seeing kind of that become reality now, uh, it's exciting. So we're looking at a couple of things in that space and just really trying to figure out, you know, the best team, the best products, the best, uh, best go-to-market strategy and, and see what we can do there. All right, guys, you heard it. Liz <laughs> told you what she's looking for and she's working hard to find it. So if you're in telehealth, telemedicine, remote monitoring, um, yeah, I, I agree. That's the future, right? You know, everybody's working from home now. We get it. And, you know, kind of the, we'll see what happens in 2021 and if everybody kind of rushes back into the office, but we know something has fundamentally changed. Same thing in healthcare. Something has fundamentally changed, right? If you don't have to go in and you can get whatever done, done from wherever you are, why not do that, right? And the big, and the big case for that is let's find a way to build a sustainable healthcare system that improves outcomes while saving money. So I think that's a great focus. And so folks can get a hold of you. What's the best way for folks to get in contact with you, get a conversation started, not pitch at you, right? But also get to understand what you're looking for. What's the best place uh, people can do that? Yeah, you know, we try to be really available. Our website has all of our phone numbers. It has all of our contact information as far as emails. You can submit a form through the website and it comes straight to my inbox. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. You know, we don't want to be inaccessible. We don't want to, um, you know, have some sort of big wall you have to jump over to get to us because what's the point of that, right? There's great deals out there. We want to find them. And if you find me first instead of vice versa, that shouldn't be an, an, uh, a mark against you, right? So uh, mutualcapitalpartners.com is our website. Uh, so you can check it out. And like I said, all of our um, contact information for myself and the partners is all there. Liz, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I always do my one takeaway. I mean, the big one is don't get divorced, okay? That's the biggest, <laughs> all right? That's, 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 that's low-hanging fruit. Just don't do it, right? It's, Just it, don't do it. It. it costs you too much in so many different ways, all right? <laughs> um, but, but, but the big takeaway, and the more that I talk to venture investors and folks like yourself, is that you have to get to know the investor and what their interests are, all right? So to continue with the dating analogy, don't just talk about yourself. Get to know what the venture investor is interested in. And a lot of times they'll tell you what they want you to tell them. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Peace. That's a wrap. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you would like updates sent to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614 Startups to join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com. It takes a village to do a podcast, and I would like to say a special thank you to my friends at Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to enhance the production of 614 Startups, and we are so happy with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in sonic branding, songwriting, and music production for companies and creatives. To learn more about them, go to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com.